0: This is a Headgum Podcast.
1: Vultures Good One Podcast is sponsored by Prime Video. This August, stand-up has arrived with five new Amazon original specials hitting the streaming service, let off on August 16th with acclaimed comedian Jim Gaffigan. A week later, on August 23rd, Prime members can laugh along with Alice Wetterland, Alonzo Bowden, Mike E. Winfield, and I Mom So Hard. Exclusive stand-up on Amazon, it's all in the delivery. Only on Prime Video. Hello, this is Good One, the podcast in which a comedy person, be it stand-up writer, director, what have you, comes on to play one of their jokes and talks about how and why it came together like it did. Our guest this week is Whitney Cummings. I've been wanting to have Whitney on for a while now because I'm friends with her opener from her last tour, J.F. Harris, and he'd tell me these stories of just how incredibly hard she worked on her jokes, spending hours a day writing and researching and throwing things out and then writing some more. She wants to be bulletproof up there, and you can see the results in her work. The joke we're talking about is from her fourth stand-up special, Can I Touch It?, which currently is streaming on Netflix. The title alludes to both if a comedian is free to address certain sensitive subject matters nowadays, and also the current stage of Me Too where it feels like some people are pushing back or at least questioning how they are supposed to behave. And, and by some people, I mean, you know, men, for the most part, but mostly men. Uh, in the joke, Whitney imagines women gathering together in a football team-like huddle and starting to make some decisions. So, here is whitney cummings people
0: really want to argue with me about this stuff i had a guy come at me and he's like you know what if women start taking advantage we got it we'll handle it when that happens i I love that you guys think that we have no idea that some women are batshit crazy we know okay we know way more shit than you know We see the text messages she didn't send to you. We know. We see the ones that are too crazy to even get to your phone. Because we're the ones that put a stop to that shit. We're the ones like, no, 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 you're not going to kidnap his mom. Delete it. Delete it. Give me the phone. Just give me the phone. Give it to me. Put the phone down. That's too many bubbles. He hasn't responded in five days. Give me the phone. You're not sending that. You're not gonna send an Adele song with six eggplant emojis. Give it to me. Log out now. We know. You guys just don't know that we know because we're in this climate where everyone's walking on eggshells and no one's allowed to say anything negative about a woman or people freak out. That's not healthy. We have to get back to a place where we can call out women if they're acting like silly gooses and there are some silly gooses out there. Does anyone have any girlfriends that think they're feminists, but they're actually just assholes? (laughs) Someone's gotta say it. But I also think we have to be patient with women right now. You gotta understand, this came out of nowhere. For thousands of years, nobody cared about our feelings, nobody cared about our opinions, and then like a year ago, everyone was like, what do you think? It was like, what the fuck? I'm sorry, can you just give us one second? We were not at all prepared for that question. It's just no one has ever asked us that before. Can you just give us a minute? We were just taking a selfie with dog ears. Just give us one second. We're going to regroup, and we're going to come right back to you with an answer. Bitches, huddle up right now. Um... They give a shit about us all of a sudden and we have absolutely no practice being listened to, so we need to level the fuck up right now. (laughs) Some things need to change around here. First of all, the rosé all day shirts have to go. (laughs) for a couple of years till we get out of the woods on this. Namaste in bed. It's not a sophisticated argument. No more sassy shirts for a while. Uh, you stop saying totes. You're 40. Um, we might have to stop calling each other hookers and whores for a while. Does anyone have that girlfriend? Hey, hooker. I actually think we need to steal from what guys do with their nicknames because guys build each other up with their nicknames, right? What up, champ? What up, chief? What a boss. Guys give each other promotions in their nicknames. I make television shows. I have an intern, he's 20 years old. People walk in, they're like, what a boss. I'm like, what? No, I'm your boss. I'm your boss. That's nobody's boss. That's my friend's nephew who was too stupid to get a job. So I had to give him an internship because he got a two on his SAT. So that's nobody's boss. Okay. Best case scenario, he will be a hooker. So let's just get this, I'm your boss. I don't like any of the nicknames my girlfriends give me. They'll be like, hey honey, hey cupcake. I'm like, what are you doing? You don't like it when guys call you that. Let's just all stop calling women desserts for a while. Uh, If you must call a woman a dessert, at least pick like a cool dessert, you know? Like bear claw, what up bear claw? That's fine. Moose, moose. All right, get back in the huddle. There's more shit to do. Okay, I think for a while we need to stop yelling at guys when they drive by in a sports car. Does anyone have that girlfriend? When a guy drives by in a sports car, they go, sorry about your dick. How is that helping? You're making us look like hypocrites, right? Because if the roles were reversed in that scenario, it would be so messed up, right? If a woman drove by in a sports car and a guy was like, sorry about your giant pussy. Not a good look. All right, what else? We got to watch what we prioritize on social media. We got to watch the causes we prioritize on social media. Free the nipple, not this month, next month, unless you're breastfeeding, in which case you can do whatever the hell you want with your nipple as far as I am concerned. If your nipple has proven to be of use to society, you may free it. But I think we can all agree, a breastfeeding nipple, that nipple is not free, that nipple is working. <laughs> we need to get it a little vest, like a little tiny, like a, a baby vest. I think the biggest thing I want to work on with my girlfriends is telling the difference between empowerment and entitlement. It's a fine line, very easy to confuse those two. Like, I have this one girlfriend, she thinks she's very empowered, but she's actually just entitled, and it comes out in the way that she complains that no man is good enough for her, even though all she does is talk about astrology and go to music festivals. <laughs> She has no concept of what she deserves. Like, she will go to a music festival for five days and do drugs the entire time, and then she'll come back and she'll be like, I told you, there's just no good men out there. (laughs) Like, no, there are good men out there. They're just at home with their good women. Uh, You're never gonna meet them because they're not at Burning Man watching you puke on your slutty Native American Indian costume.
1: So we're here with the comedian behind the joke you just heard, Whitney Cummings. Hi. Thank you so much. Thank you. So I think of you as an incredibly deliberate creator in so much as I've heard you talk briefly about um, you're at a point in your career where like, you figure out, like, oh, this is a tweet. This is a TV show. This is a stand-up material. So on one hand, you said part of the reason you wanted to do Roseanne was that your stand-up wasn't that political and I've heard you say that you'd, you'd sometimes start shows and be like, hey, I'm not going to talk about politics. And people like, hooray. Yeah. On the other hand, I've heard you talk about how you guys once considered doing a Me Too or a Time's Up episode in Roseanne, and you decided not to do it. Mm-hmm. So considering all of that, you know, why this topic for stand-up and why stand-up for this topic?
0: You know, when— the first, you know, when the Harvey Weinstein news broke, uh, you know, for me, it was, you know, I mean, there's just, I had so much to say and I and so much stuff started flooding back that I had repressed about, you know, my early days in show business <laughs> when I was taken advantage of and manipulated and, and men abused their power. And I didn't feel comfortable for whatever reason, really tweeting very much about it. It just felt like, how do you reduce this to 140 characters or 200, whatever it is now? And um, and then when I would, the feedback and the, you know, it's like to come forward with a story about um, that's traumatic for you and then to someone to like send a Parks and Rec <laughs> gif is just like, ah, uh, you know. Um, it just, it felt like there needs to be so much nuance to this. And especially if you wanted to have levity in it. You know, I think that now is a time where if you are going to talk about something that is painful to people or triggering, as the kids say, um, I think you have to really be mindful and measured and do your homework and, um, not, I think the days of cheap laughs are kind of over, you know? So I was like, this is a topic that Although I'm going to have to wait a year to be heard about it and to have my point of view expressed, um, at least I'm not going to be underserving it or not giving it the real estate it deserves. So I really wanted to be able to, like you said, be deliberate and, um, you know, make a whole special out of it instead of just like capitalizing on the moment. And, you know, cause I mean, we all have the instinct We're like, if you tweet something topical, you get so many likes. And especially if it's something, um, you know, defending women or in the zeitgeist and that it just felt a little bit like I wanted to wait and do it with thought.
1: So for, for this joke specifically, you know, I'll often ask standups, what was the first spark of a thing? And they'll Mm -hmm. have a story and that story will be in the joke, but you, a lot of your stand-up is idea and, like, driven in a lot of ways. Some of it is and some of it is personal. But a lot of – and this is an idea first before it is, like, a story. What – when you're – when it is that type of thing, how – what was the spark? How does something like this come to you?
0: I think anything that makes me frustrated, I feel like I need – or anything I'm ashamed to say to someone one-on-one is usually what I should say to – thousands of strangers. I I think for some reason, you know, um, anything that makes me angry, anything that keeps me up at night and then anything that's like, oh, I can't say that or I can't talk about that um, makes me think, oh, there's something there. This is embroiled in either shame or taboo or there's an opportunity to play devil's advocate. There's something, uh, some visceral reaction going on here that means this is a raw nerve, which means it, deserves or should be talked about i guess you know and i think right now we're all so it's being a comedian right now it's it's we're almost uh, superfluous. I mean, it's just, there's every, you know, with memes and and, mm-hmm. and tweets and there's so many funny people out there. It's a nightmare. I mean, we didn't, comics, I think we were living in this delusion for a long time that we were like the only funny people. are like the
1: gatekeepers <laughs> Totally. Totally. Yeah. We're like, there's
0: like 300 of us and like no one else is funny. And then Instagram <laughs> happened and we were like, oh shit, <laughs> like everyone's funny. This is a nightmare. I mean, I see memes on just random people's pages where I'm like, who made this? Like, <laughs> you're hired, yeah. you know? So, I think it's like forced us to up our game a lot and and for me, just to go, okay, I need to be more specific. I need to go into territories that are even scarier um, and that maybe, the other funny people out there don't have the audacity to go into.
1: How did that happen then with sort of this joke, which I sense ultimately the core is the, do you have any girlfriends that they think they're feminists, but they're actually just assholes?
0: And to actually answer your question, finally, um, I found myself, you know, in this, we we were all in this moment where I was like, oh my God, people actually care about what women have to say. And I found myself like walking down red carpets and people being like, so, and I was just like, no people have only asked me about my dress and my shoes and now people are asking me my political opinions and like how I feel like it was just so bizarre it felt like a weird prank and I thought I was like punked was being rebooted or something and so I realized like oh my god like I don't know what I'm talking about (laughs) (laughs) like people all of a sudden um are interested in having you know women in writers rooms and women in the workplace and um and I just uh I had a lot of girlfriends, it myself include. If this moment had happened when I was 25, I would have been a part of the problem, mm-hmm. <laughs> not the solution. Sure. So I'm kind of really glad that this happened when I was, you know, 35 and and pulled it together and, you know, um, wasn't wearing, uh, you know, shirts that said, like, juicy butt on them or whatever <laughs> ridiculous, you know, whore. I mean, they were literally like, you know— um, yeah i mean when i was 25 i would like yeah. didn't even know how much i was degrading myself you know and participating in the degrading of women you know accidentally so um i, I thought it would be interesting to sort of just poke fun at you know um some <laughs> my, of my own girlfriends who were conflating empowerment and entitlement yeah. and just it was interesting to me the idea that all of a sudden we had to kind of level up, yeah, you know, because no one's been caring about what we said for so long. So it's just we didn't have to put any thought into what we said because no one took us seriously anyway. And there's something interesting to me the moment the rules change and how everybody has to shift. that was just a funny idea to me.
1: I've heard that, like David Tell, you're a stickler for checking to see if other people have certain jokes or. How anything. did you know that? I know you're opener.
0: Oh my God, that's so wild!
1: <laughs> Is that okay for yes, me? Yes, no, I love
0: that you know this. Yeah, I, fascinating. I yeah,
1: so he he he. You know he's very fawning about how much work you put into, and uh, one thing he knows that you're you'll really put effort into checking. And some yeah. comedians are better at another. Why? Why is it important for you to do that? He almost mentioned that you'll throw away a lot of stuff. Yeah. What? Why? Why is that a standard that you have for yourself?
0: Yeah. I. Be, I mean, what else? I mean, I just what else is there? Why? Why be sloppy? You know. I think for me, I, I, I never. F- I don't think I'm. Naturally, like the funniest person in the world. Like I've seen comics that are naturally funny. Like I've seen Chris Tucker go up on stage with no material and just sh- destroy. Yeah. I've seen it, you know? I've seen Jim Carrey just be funny screwing around. I've seen Chris D'Elia just get on stage and be, like I'm just not that person. Like I'm pretty good at crowd work. Like that. I'm just, you know, for me, I always feel like I just had to work, you know, 10 times as hard. Mm-hmm. And it's always kind of been that way. I'm, you know, kind of dyslexic. So in school, I always had to work harder. So that's just, um, but I think I really want to make sure that this didn't feel um, this protect uh, this special didn't feel redundant or like and anyone hurt and especially again because there's so many content creators out there there's so many comics and because I'm touring all the time I'm not always in the club so I don't see what people are doing so I am always asking our friend JF like is someone doing this have you heard (laughs) this and I also maybe my self esteem is really low because whenever I think of a good joke I'm like have you heard this yeah like someone must have done this like I never think like there's no way I could have been the first person (laughs) to think of this Um, so I am always just corroborating, trying to make sure that, you know, but there are a couple things in this special that deliberately, you know, you know, there's stuff about like walking to your car at night and stuff that, that I've, you know, women have do- female comics yeah. have talked about feeling unsafe walking their cars before, but and there was a big moment of like, should I talk about this? Because women – but it was like, no, the fact that we still need to talk about it and why it's it's still relevant means I need to just – I need to find a very fresh new take on it. Yeah. But this is still a problem yeah. that needs – that would be weird to not address in this special thematically.
1: So once you have a sort of a kernel of a thing you want to work on, the sense I have is that you – you as you said, you work hard. You write a lot. You'll spend a lot of time writing but what does writing mean to you? Like, what... I mean, JF, our mutual friend uh, who goes on the road
0: with me, I mean, I made him go into, like, sex robot chat rooms with me. <laughs> like, he was in the trenches with me on this one. Um, it should be
1: noted if you haven't watched her special yet. She has a big section about sex robots. I do. It should be noted. I Sorry.
0: did a lot of research, and I forced JF to, like, look at, like, weird photos of robot nipples. So is
1: that writing including, like, the research and development phase?
0: I write down in this kind of as because i started writing like late night jokes and then i did roast jokes and something that really helps me is writing down just tons of words like whatever comes to my mind you know so if it's like sex robots it's just like machine 3d printer sometimes i'll just google like robot like like battery like i'll just write down as many words as i can and it kind of gives me an illusion of productivity so then i'm not looking at a blank page like as long as i see a bunch of words i'm like okay, all right, I've done some work, yeah. you know? And then I'll just write down things that make me laugh. I definitely, because w- what I try to do is take an unfunny subject matter and make it funny. So I'll look at a bunch of serious, like I looked at a lot of robot videos um, and anything that comes to my mind, because I think that we forget that usually your first like inner monologue reaction to something is a joke because we always try to repress our first reaction to whatever we're seeing, whether it's a person or a baby or a TV show. Our first thought is always the thing we're not allowed to say. And then our second thought is the thing that is socially acceptable. So for me, I just try to really like hear my first thought and I try to write that down. And I really try to like, for me, writing jokes is sometimes just figuring out what your actual opinion is on something, which it's, Weird how hard that is, you know, because for me, especially like wanting to be liked and wanting people to respect you, you're always like, well, what's the thing I should think about this? that's going to make, you mm-hmm. know, me cool or make me interesting. But it's like then you have to go like, what do I actually think about this? And sometimes what you actually think isn't cool or socially acceptable or politically correct. And we try to make it go away. So I try to like lean into whatever that. Th- point of view, yeah. I guess, what is what it ends up being. And then I write out jokes, even if they're not funny, I write them out. So to me, when you have a good premise, the joke usually writes itself. Um, and I'm kind of obsessed with premises that are jokes in a way that are just like, you know, that give the audience the opportunity to write the joke also. So that's my new favorite type of joke is saying something, letting the audience fill in the blank and then beating the audience's joke, you Mm -hmm. know, because people are so savvy and so smart. There's so much good comedy. People are funnier than we think. I think some, some of us, especially like Hollywood people are like, oh, the average person is an idiot. It's just not true. Like people in the comment section on my Instagram always write funnier captions than me. And I'm like, God, damn it. How did I, you know, so I always try to like play the top of my intelligence and assume the audiences are always smarter and funnier than I am. And then I usually end up writing better stuff. Um, but yeah, choosing really specific, funny premises, I think are the first thing. So I try to write down all the premises, even if that I don't have a joke and then I'll put in bold joke, like joke to come. (laughs) (laughs) So I'll kind of put like the premises in the order. I think they should go in and then it starts to like take shape.
1: And then, so when, you'll then take a amount of those on stage, and then sort of like fill in the blanks and see what works and doesn't work.
0: I have a friend who I've known for since I'm 22. And I make him come over and I order food. And if I can, because he just does not have the capacity to bullshit me. He actually enjoys me feeling badly. He has no vested interest in laughing, you know, because you don't realize how many people around you are just like, yeah, yeah, that's good. You should try that. It's like, why is your voice going up (laughs) like that? Uh, Why do you want me to fail so bad? So he'll just be like, nah, that's kind of cheap. Nah, I feel like I've heard that. Like he just gives me really hardcore feedback. So I always find if I'm able to say them to my closest friend. Like, what do you think of this? Like, usually there's something there. And sometimes I'll chicken out. And the ones I chicken out on, I just cross out, like, don't even try to make these work. And then, um, I'll usually start at a smaller club. Like there's this place in LA called Flappers, which is this small club in Burbank. And I'll just run through it because the problem is like, you know, as a comedian, like, you any we're such animals for mm-hmm. stage time. It's like you go to the comedy store and you want to work something new out, and you're after Joe Rogan and before like Sebastian, and it's just like I'm not gonna try my new yeah, j- yeah. this little <laughs> joke that could. So I try to find little holes in the wall to to sort of try them out
1: first, and then you go to bigger and bigger. Bands. Yeah,
0: and then once it kills a couple times, then I'll do it.
1: Something that in researching that I found really interesting, partly because especially when I realized that you majored in journal as in journalism in college is that you will talk to more people about the subjects who's like you'll talk That's to right. different That's to right. get us get a different sense of how other people's perspective That's are. right how does that actually work do you and you can think of anything from this joke that came from that experience
0: well yeah i mean can't, and a lot i found that when i was editing the special you know and there was a director and i noticed that a lot of the premises on this special started with, and a lot of people are saying this, and I heard a lot of people (laughs) say that, like, so many of it is from having conversations with people and getting, you know, and their opinions became my setup, and then I just fight with them in the special. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. it's so important. And I go all over the country, and I try to really make sure to talk to people that aren't just New York and LA-based, because we're so in our echo chamber. And um, so I do that. I always talk to people after the shows. That's always super helpful. Um, Just to make sure that I'm not in my my myopic like, I mean, even down to the algorithms, like, I don't yeah. even think you and I probably see the same news stories, you yeah. know, at this point. So I I get really worried that we're so sequestered from point of views that are different than ours that how can we possibly explore different points of view? I mean, I was sitting next to – it might have been JF, our friend, actually, and our Huffington posts were different. And I was just <laughs> like, oh, my God. I only follow the people I agree with. I only get yeah. news stories that I want to see, like – This is going to make me a worse comedian if I don't know what, you know, other people think about things. So that's always a big thing. Yeah, And
1: especially this joke, as it is not the first wave of Me Too related things, topics. It is. People are now responding to me, t- and that is like mm-hmm. what this joke is about. Which yeah, is like this, yes,
0: the aftermath. Yeah, it really is the aftermath. And I ended up pushing the special a couple months um, for a litany of reasons, but I think it kind of came out sort of at the perfect time um, because a lot of people. I mean, I ended. Up, I wanted to do a joke about this, but it was too late. A lot of people I know were like, I, "I'm just so, I'm just so over this." Like, <laughs> it's just like, "Oh, are you over it?" Yeah. Like, I was a little worried. Like, are people going to be fatigued about this topic? So I tried to find a way to, you know. Keep it fresh, but and I try to be fair. And to get back to this actual joke, you know, I think I was feeling again, I try to just talk about whatever I'm feeling, whether it's right or not, or whether other people feel that way or not. I'm not asking you to have the same feelings as me. <laughs> like yeah. we're in this new moment where if you disagree with someone, you've like wronged them. It's like, no, we just we're allowed to have different opinions. Like, I don't owe you an apology just because we disagree. Like, um, even though I'm so sorry, and uh, and I saw a lot of my girlfriends, and look, this could make me a like in Roxanne's gaze, where it's I'm a big fan of hers, um, bad feminist or whatever. But I did find this like kind of dichotomy, and this might just mean I'm old, or this might just be my point of view. But I found a lot of my girlfriends would be like, "Don't objectify us," and da da da, and then the next photo was them like topless, yeah. and I was like. That's not wrong. That there's space for that. Good for you. Maybe I'm jealous. I maybe I'm too dumb to have done that. I you have ten times as many followers as I do. What? Who cares? Like, but the whole point was um, that that confused me, mm-hmm. and it took me a minute to like regroup and go, wait, this is confusing to me. And even as a woman, yeah. um, who knows, women should be able to. Be sexual and not objectified and should be able to be naked and not be in danger and all of these sort of, you know, things that, you know, our brains want to be black and white. Our brains want to be um, put things in boxes. And this joke was very much about about that. And also kind of. um, You know, just this idea of, okay, it's game time. It's time to level up.
1: So uh, I want to go through certain parts of the joke that I particularly like, that I think are particularly interesting. So in the first section where it's about how, um, which I think is very funny, where you're like, um, guys don't, like women, do you think women don't know that other women are crazy?
0: Oh, my God. It just was like, everyone's (sighs) like, well, Asia Argento. I'm like, we know. (laughs) We know she's a nut. Why can't we say that? This yeah. is – why does she speak for all of – I mean, there was this moment in time where it was, like, Aja I, – sorry, I can't even pronounce her name – was, like, the spokesperson for all women. And all my girlfriends were, like, who – we don't <laughs> – we, we, did you vote? I didn't get, a, like, a ballot to choose who our spokesperson was, yeah. you know? And it seemed like there was this moment where we were all kind of, like, wincing, like, oh.
1: So the – The the Adele it ends with a sort of Adele joke. You're not going to send an Adele song with six eggplant emojis. There's not tons of references, pop culture references. Where are you in terms of like how picking something is like you want to pick something current. You want to pick such
0: a good question because I feel like there were too many references in the special. I like I try to not do too many references, but specificity is always funnier. So I was a little bit torn on that. I picked Adele because I think she's timeless and. I, I, she's one of those artists where you're not worried that like in two months she's gonna have like said the n word or she doesn't tweet like she, I don't think she's really on social yeah. media. Your
1: PR team took her phone away. I again I told
0: her why I'd been through the Roseanne debacle. Yeah. I was very, you know, I'm very scared to, um, you know, put anybody in stone. But I think she's kind of one of those artists where you're like, I feel like this is not going to be a different joke in a year yeah. that I didn't intend.
1: You then have the sort of centerpiece, which is the or the framing device, which is the huddle. Mm-hmm. How did you, you know, land on a huddle opposed to you could have unlike some sort of tribunal? Why? Why a huddle?
0: Huddle up. Huddle up. Just it's there's some things that are funny and you don't necessarily know why. And maybe it's because that's a traditionally masculine thing. If I'm yeah. going to really overanalyze it and overthink it, um, you know, I actually, it's weird because a lot of people are like, you're such a good joke writer. And then other people are like, you're so physical. I have no idea what kind of comedian I am, but.
1: <laughs> it is a particularly physical, physical act, bit. Yeah. And there's
0: something funny about like. Huddle up,
1: bitch. Like
0: there's just something funny about the surprise of it. Yeah. There's the physical, you know, they say like, you need to either move or change your um, intonation like every seven seconds to keep people's attention. It also, and also I think this is a weird thing to say, but like or not, but it also was just fun for me. Yeah. Like it always made me laugh. It was always just something that I gravitated to doing and I enjoyed it. Yeah. Like it always cracked me up.
1: Yeah. So the nickname section is interesting because it is a sequel to a, your nickname's joke from early. Don't you have a you have a nickname joke earlier in your career, right? In the first, either the first or second special.
0: Yeah. Women get obsessed with romance. I think it also comes from the nicknames we get growing up with. My dad growing up called me princess, right? princess, he drilled into my head as a kid that I'm a freaking princess, and then I grew up and I got to the real world and I realized that no one else was on board. (laughs) With the whole princess thing, right? Princesses don't lose their virginity at Lollapalooza. That's just not. (laughs) I think we need to start calling kids things to prepare them for real life. You know, get in the car, rehab, let's go.
1: Were you aware that you're doing it a second time? Do you like the idea that you're like, oh,
0: yeah? I think it was weird because it was it was for so long I was talking about, you know, porn and and men's inappropriate behavior, and then it became like a zeitgeisty thing, and I was like, oh, like <laughs> I wish that HBO special came out now, yeah. like, you know, and um, you know, so there was a couple things that I was like, ah, oh, like at least with Hooker Horror, I was like, I think I should probably revisit this with a more intelligent nuanced brain uh, at a time where maybe people are more interested in it. I think when women are nasty with other women, it's much more subtle. Like, it's much more insidious, you know? Like, I have this girlfriend, every time I see her, she'll be like, hey, hooker. What's up, slut? Which, that's never going to feel good, you know? But to me, it's just a reminder that I think we need to stop using the word hooker as a pejorative term. I have a lot of respect for hookers. I think they work very hard and they do a lot of the jobs that we don't want to fucking do. (laughs)
1: You have the free in the nipple section, which has, I think the-
0: f- I was very scared to do that joke.
1: It's real, It's really funny, it's, and especially the end, I think, is really, really good. Like, the exact writing of, I think we all agree, a breastfeeding nipple is not free. That nipple is working. Yeah. That exact. You, do you preci- are you precise very. with the exact wording? Yes.
0: I go through it surgically, like, with a razor blade. Yes. Uh,
1: why were you so scared to do that bit?
0: I was scared to do that bit because I thought that, like, free the nipple would be, like, mad at me, like, the movement, <laughs> like, a bunch of topless women coming after yeah. me in a rage, and I support them, and I follow them on social media, like, the exact thing I was talking about in the special, about how we're, women are now afraid to disagree with other women, or, um, you know, say that, you know, maybe they don't align with other women, because, like, there's this moment where we, uh, girl power, and we have to, you know... Um, And we're not allowed to be individuals Mm -hmm. uh, with our own opinions. I was like a little worried that people would think that that was like not feminist of me or something. But the whole point was like, not now we'll get to it was the joke. Um, But I found myself really in the weeds with the wording of that so that it didn't come off that I wasn't supportive of that movement, if that makes any sense.
1: There's a joke in your special that I I love and it comes so right after this joke, um, which you're talking about a friend.
0: We get in fights because she she generalizes a lot about, like, all men and all women. I know it's weird that I'm criticizing that because generalizing about men and women did pay for my house. But I'm evolving, and I now find that really frustrating to engage with. I had a uh,
1: guy- It's really funny, and, I, and it feels kind of post net to be cr- critical of your own material. <laughs> but, one, how did you grow out of it? But also, how did the experience of doing that material sort of prepare you to do a special that is is not about the difference between men and women but it still is in the world of like men and women exist.
0: I think that, look, like, the simple answer is I grew up, yeah, you know, and the simple answer is I got better at stand-up. And the simple answer is I think it was all fun and games with men and women are different until this thing happened. And men and women were actually being pitted against each other in a way that I think was really counterproductive and, like, whoa, whoa, that's not what we meant. Yeah. No one meant, like— all men are perverts and all women are, you know, a certain way. So I think it was until a couple years ago when when actually men and women started being at war with each other in a way that was, like, really not nuanced or helpful. Um, I think that's when I wanted to sort of get in the weeds and go, like, this isn't all men versus all women. This is, like... The bad men and women versus the good men and the good women yeah. you know that feels like a much more mature take so i don't know if if me too and time's up and that had never happened i hopefully would have gotten there anyway um but it was very weird that me of all people became the person that was like no this isn't about men versus women <laughs> yeah. even though that's my brand yeah. um you know so it just it felt necessary to
1: delineate that we'll be right back with more Whitney Cummings after this word from our sponsor vultures good one podcast is sponsored by prime video this august stand-up has arrived with five new amazon original specials hitting the streaming service let off on august 16th with four-time grammy-nominated comedian jim gaffigan In his special Quality Time, he explores everything from dog birthdays to the real reason parents lie to their children. The laughter continues a week later on August 23rd, when Prime members can discover and laugh along with the diverse, relatable humor of Alonzo Bowden, I'm Mom So Hard, Alice Wetterland, and Mikey Winfield. Exclusive stand-up on Amazon, it's all in the delivery. Only on Prime Video. And we're back with Whitney Cummings. Um, despite the subject, and maybe it's just me, it seems like you're having more fun performing than you have in the past. That's nice. You were just laugh a little bit more on yourself. There's a this, this silly goose line which felt like a thing that was just for you.
0: <laughs> totally, and I'm laughing now. I don't even remember. Oh, a bunch of silly gooses. Yeah,
1: it's just like a. It's like <laughs> it's
0: so funny to me. The idea of calling a woman a silly goose is so. Are true. you are you having more a lot fun? Of silly gooses. Do you feel like you're
1: having more fun? Yeah,
0: I do definitely. I think that that. I've, I'm a pretty serious, maybe, person. Um, and uh, I never thought I was allowed to be like playful on stage for whatever reason. No. I don't know if it was, I was trying to like neuter myself. I was trying to not be like playful or silly. Like, I kind of was um, just trying to like be a good, com- you know, yeah, yeah. like, I don't know. And, and, um, I think that now maybe it's because it's my fourth special and I've done it enough and, um, weed is legal in California (laughs) now that's helpful. But, um, but yeah, I think I, and I also started writing more towards the things that, really make me laugh instead of I know I can write a good joke about this and it kills so I should put in a special now it's like I can write a good joke about it it kills but like ugh like I'm not having fun with it so that's what our mutual friend I think probably saw a lot of is me going like I'm just not having fun doing this joke even though I know it's good or works technically like works but I'm not um, having fun and also because of how the news kept evolving and changing whether these jokes were even funny or not. Like, something that was funny on a Wednesday wasn't funny yeah. anymore on a Friday, just with how, like, the news cycle was going. So I ended up writing a lot of the stuff in that special, like, three months before. Yeah. He it. mentioned
1: that this this joke would be, like, 25 minutes long sometimes, and then, like, it feel like—or really long, and then cut down.
0: I kept cutting things out because it was like—or I, like, heard someone was doing something similar, or, like— I mean, now it's like comics, like like, like every late night host is doing jokes and everyone's tweeting about everything. And you see something, you're like, oh, got to cut that joke. So I found myself writing kind of down to the wire. And so the jokes were still funny to me. (laughs) I hadn't been doing them for 12 months straight. Like they were still kind of enjoyable. Um, And that was that was helpful.
1: One of the things that um, I think it's really it really fascinates me is the comedian's relationship to their audience. And I think we're in a time in comedy where a lot of comedians are directly questioning that. In their work so I, I wanted to talk about how your relationship has evolved especially in you know, your first album you're sort of this like unstoppable joke machine like i remember seeing like oh there's like God. 39 tracks in your first album like that's how many jokes <laughs> there were. it's it, but like i'm not saying that. i think i a,
0: was like 25 yeah. also uh,
1: you know i was thinking because I was, I was reading your book and i was thinking about how you, uh, you wow. used to talk about struggling with codependency and you know stand up you are literally, like, these, you're demanding people to like you in a way or you you care yeah. about their needs more than yeah. your own. How has your relationship to an audience evolved? How has the sort of the work you've done yourself um, evolved sort of how you approach stand-up?
0: That's such an interesting question because when you said that, it made me kind of time travel back to the comedians I loved. Like, I love Stephen Bright. Like, yeah. I always wanted to be Stephen Bright. I just wanted to, like, tell jokes, you yeah. know? Like... And I think there's a difference between being a comedian and telling jokes, you know. Um, I know there's a lot of controversy (laughs) about that. I'm sure you've gotten into it. But, um, like, Mitch Hedberg and Zach Galifianakis and Dimitri Martin, like, those were, like— Because I was like, oh, I can— I never knew if I was, like, a good performer. Like, I was, I was good at writing jokes, and I was always, like, nervous on stage, so I was like, okay. And then um, I started getting comfortable on stage, and I started being able to sort of, like, stretch bits out more and not just lean on the writing of things and not just, like— Because I always thought that a good joke meant someone could leave a venue— and repeat it to someone else. Yeah. Because, like, that's always what I loved. I, yeah. I love Mitch Hedberg because I could tell his jokes to someone and get a laugh. Yes. You know, that was so great. Like, Dimitri Martin, I yep. remember, like, before I even started stand up, I used to go see him and he had these jokes, like, that you could tell, you know, Bj
1: Novak a little bit too. Um, well, especially around the time you're starting, there were a lot. There, there was like were. a lot of what? like it's a lot the of one-liner, one-liner guy, you know. Yeah.
0: And Zach Galifianakis was doing a lot of stand-up. I think this was before the Hangover movies, but Dan Mancini,
1: Morgan Murphy. That's
0: right, Morgan Murphy. And then there was, um, uh, you know, Dimitri used to do like people are so yeah. People are so weird. <laughs> There's a weird. picture of him in the room. He's literally <laughs> right next to me. So um, you know, he would say like people show me photos of their kids and but I show them photos of their kids and they think I'm weird I mean it's just something that yeah. you don't have to be a performer to repeat it so I think I always wanted to write jokes to give other people to be able to tell and then I, I sort of started evolving but I mean in terms of the audience now podcasts like people feel so close to you that it's forced me to be more authentic because people know my personality now so you can't go on stage and like be a different person everyone's like Are you okay? Like people will call you out on it. You know, they really will. I mean, people like yell at me from the audience. It used to be like heckles, you know, and now it's like, how's your mom doing? And you're like, what? This is not. Let's do the Q&A at the end. You know, everyone feels so close to you now.
1: Yeah. Um, So, you know, to go back to sort of where we started um before this i was rereading this conversation you did for vulture with sarah silverman and you know i remember there's one part that i remember a lot of comedians liking where you're talking about going to a bunch of weddings and people would be like oh what are you doing and you go oh i just did this 30 city city tour and i shot a special and they're like yeah yeah but what are you working on as if like stand-up wasn't (laughs) yeah
0: oh my god and a
1: lot of i forgot that so many comedians shared that moment they think
0: we're, like, on vacation, just, yeah. like, on a road
1: trip. <laughs> that is, like, a thing you do for fun. But, you know, you as I said at the beginning, you, you create TV shows and you've done movies. And, you know, stand-up is the thing you do. But sort of a- as we're on the other side of you doing a special, where are you with stand-up as a thing you need to do immediately in terms of doing a special you have to work on immediately? Like, mm-hmm. what is your sort of relationship with stand-up as one of the sort of tools or, like, I guess, like, brushes in your – Bag of brushes. Ooh,
0: but in my tool bag, my um,
1: art, my art room.
0: Uh, <laughs> I um, to me, stand up's the most important thing, and I think I've gotten a little distracted in terms of like when TV and movie opportunities come along. I think you're so conditioned to believe that that's like more glamorous or more respected or more whatever, you know. And I think that like. How do you say no when someone asks you to make a TV show? You know, it's like, oh, this is what you do. This is what, you know. And then I'm like, ah, why am I stuck in this thing? I'd so much rather, like, be at the comedy store, like, being paid nothing to eat shit with a new premise, you know. So I think it's taken me a while to sort of follow the sparkly thing that doesn't Mm -hmm. matter um, and come back. Like, the book, like— I did that. My dad had passed away. I was grieving. Like, I couldn't really socialize. And I had so many stories and ideas that just didn't make sense to tell on stage Mm -hmm. because they were just too much of a bummer. Like, it's just hard to make, like, uh, for me, it was hard to make, like, love addiction and codependence and growing up in an alcoholic home. Particularly funny. It was yeah. just kind of like a bummer. So I was like, okay, I have all this stuff that I feel like should be said, but it's not – I'm not going to bore people mm-hmm. through this vagina monologue. I'm going to put them in a book. So a lot of the detours that I took were kind of just sublimating things that I didn't think deserved to be stand-up. Um but I think moving forward, it's it's my you know biggest priority, especially as the TV business evolves into something that I truly don't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I feel like I finally figured out how television works, and then <laughs> all the rules changed, yeah. and I was like, I'm not gonna relearn this. Like, I no thank you. So um, I'll go back to putting another you know special together. That, like, are
1: you like okay, things now? I'm now looking t- whatever you don't know what it is, but you know. It's like you're building a bridge to, and hopefully on the other side is whatever the special is.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think there's never like, oh, I got to write a special. What do I tell There's always like such a backlog of stuff to get to, like that I didn't get to in this special. Like I have just pages and pages of stuff that I want to fight with myself in public about. (laughs)
1: So that sound means it's time for our final segment. It's it's the laughing round. It's like a lightning round, but because it's a comedy, it's a laughing round. Love it. Traditional lightning round rules apply, they're shorter questions. Uh shorter answers. Do you have a favorite joke joke? Street joke?
0: Yes. This is I believe um a Drake Sather joke. And it's not a street joke. It's just sure. like one of the first jokes I heard that's like kind of taught as like the perfect joke. Um, but it always tickles me. Drake Sather used to work with Sandler, and you know, he he took his own life, but it was a brilliant stand-up. There's some video of him on YouTube, and it was um, it's in like joke books. I think it's um, you know, a friend of mine just got a tattoo of his family on his arm. I mean marriage, a house, kids, that's one thing, but like a tattoo, it's just so permanent. It's just, yeah. you know what I mean? It's just kind of rule of threes, surprise, begrudging commitment, it's like everything rolled up into one and it's just kind of like, its it was sort of one of the first like equa- math equation jokes yeah. I heard that made me go like, oh, you lead them one way and then you surprise <laughs> them, you know? which is not the kind of stand up I really do anymore but but it's
1: good to know what the the basics are. It's
0: a good like everyone starting stand up should just like know that joke.
1: What's your favorite joke roast joke that you told and the your favorite roast joke that was told about you?
0: The f- favorite roast joke I did I liked it because it was so not jokey. It mm-hmm. was just all balls. <laughs> Which is ultimately, like, people always ask me, how do you write this? And there's so much math that goes into it. But at the end of the day, sometimes just the ballsiest, truest thing is the funniest. Mm -hmm. And with Joan Rivers, also because she was so down to be insulted that it made it so much more fun. Um, But it was my first joke about Joan, which was just, (laughs) Joan, I loved you in The Wrestler. (laughs) It, it's just so yeah. simple. Yeah. It's simple and it also takes a minute. Like yeah. it was like- like, their brain is
1: there's drawing- There's nothing
0: to- better when they're like, ah! <laughs> that moment where you could sink or swim when people actually get it is the greatest. Um, So that one I loved because it kind of defies all laws of yeah. comedy yeah. in a way. And the, and that's my favorite one about me also was Greg Giraldo, of course, Um. One of my favorite comics and, and just brilliant roast joke writer. He told so many good ones. I mean, he did, like, he, uh, I see he is so old, he used his first residual check to buy his freedom. I mean, like, <laughs> yeah. excellent, A-plus joke. But yeah. one year I was there, it might have been the Joan Rivers roast or the David Hasselhoff roast where he just went... And Whitney, Whitney Cummings is here for some reason. <laughs> I guess, uh, I guess since Kathy and Joan have huge gay followings, we needed someone with no following. <laughs> Whitney,
1: Whitney's a girl who obviously knows the answer to the question, hey, who do you have to blow to get on one of these roasts? He was just, <laughs>
0: like, I'm not even going to take the time to write a joke about you. That's how insignificant you are. It was, like, it was just so, because you know he could have written yeah. such a brilliant joke slamming me.
1: Is there a joke you wish you could steal in a way where it's not like you'll get caught because it's a different dimension where it's your joke. It's always been a your joke. A joke
0: like I wish I had thought
1: of. Yes. I just heard a
0: Jim Jeffries joke that was so fucking good about strippers. Um it uh um so good i don't remember it no it was just something about how oh like how male strippers um uh always keep their hat on when they get naked cuz women even when they're naked still want to know they have a job or something <laughs> it was just so and then when He's like when men go see strippers, they want the them stripper to have one job and that's stripping. <laughs> I mean, it was just I think part of the reason it was so funny to me is because I've heard so many jokes about strippers. Yeah. I've written so many like the fact that I hadn't heard that of thought of it made me kind of angry. Yeah. It like I think that good jokes make me angry. Like yeah. I'm just like, like, how did I never um move past that? Also, I mean, Jimmy Schubert is has this joke about and I could never do it because I don't have the charisma, but about how chicken omelets, how it's two generations of chicken. <laughs> it's just so That's he really does fun. it in a whole way that it's like a mob guy who's like, I'm going to take your, I, I can't do yeah. it. But Sebastian, everything he says is so funny to me. Um, there's tons. That's great.
1: All right, let's, last one, which is, do you have a, do you have a joke that, Has never worked. You tried it over and over again. Oh, my God. But you're like, that's funny. You're going to go to your grave thinking it's funny.
0: Yeah, there was this. And maybe it was because I was just this special was so, like, much emotion in it, I guess. It wasn't as, like, jokey. And this is, like, feels like a jokey joke. But I was talking about how I was on the message boards on the robot, uh, the sex doll message boards of guys that own the most current iterations of the sex robots. And there was this one guy who got a sex doll after his wife had passed away and i'm realizing the setup was too long i never realized what was wrong with this joke um but it was uh there was uh he got a sex doll to replace his wife that passed away and he dressed her up in his wife's clothes and a wig mm-hmm. and he was typing on the message boards like it's exactly like having my wife here which makes me think that she was dead for a while <laughs> before he noticed and nobody ever got it like it would there was and maybe it's because i was just like hammering through this so fast and the setup was way too long and meandering um there was this there's a sex robot body retirement home i I think it just started getting too weird because guys would get attached to their sex doll bodies and they didn't want to throw them away so a bunch of them banded together to start a retirement home for the (laughs) bodies And people were just too bummed out. I think by that image,
1: <laughs> so, so like that, that is when we don't want. To I know
0: they were like, "We're timeout triggered. Money back, please. We don't like where you're going." Because um, a lot of times, jokes you know this, like a lot of times they work if they haven't followed, like a sex robot joke will do great if it hasn't followed 90 (laughs) sex robot (laughs) jokes. So I really kept changing the order and seeing, is this not working? Because people are just like, the Hollywood people are crazy. Or if it actually just wasn't a good uh, joke. And you
1: realize, okay, they could take exactly 89 (laughs) sex (laughs) robot jokes.
0: I had to find the perfect amount. And then if I don't actually have one come out at the end, I'm a complete failure. So it was kind of, um, fascinating to see how much sex robot material people could actually uh, digest.
1: And that's the end of the interview. <laughs> that's it for another episode of Good One. Whitney Cummings' Can I Touch It? is available currently on Netflix. Follow her on social media at Whitney Cummings. Good One is produced by Mike Commentay with production assistance from Lucy Huang and research help from Serena Devi. Justin D. Wright did our theme song. Write a review and rate the show on Apple Podcasts. Five stars, please. And hey, if you know anyone who might like the podcast, maybe tell them what the heck. You can email me comments, questions, or laughing around suggestions to goodonepodcast at gmail.com. I'm Jesse David Fox, and you can follow me at Jesse David Fox. We'll be back next week with a new episode and a new joke. Have a good one. That was a headgum podcast.